0: Everybody ready? Let's get rolling.
1: This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
2: Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us a part of your Thursday. I'm hanging out up here in Ogden. Love coming up north. Uh, 770 West Riverdale Road. I'm at Wasatch Front, Kia, Kia, Kia. But it is the Contrubus Automotive Team a Memorial Day Stimulus Tent event. And it's going on here as well as at 1234 North Main Street in Layton. And it's going on today, tomorrow, Saturday, and Monday. 0% interest for 72 months and uh, no payments for six months. So great deals, great opportunity to get yourself into a new or used vehicle. You, uh, you taking uh, the uh, Lotus out for a drive lately, uh, Gordon? No, have not. But uh,
0: I've been meaning to
2: get that out and going uh, 120 down the freeway again. Come on. What's the mm. fastest you've ever gone on the freeway? Oh, uh,
0: pretty fast. <laughs> you had to I think it about resp- it that long, and then you. Uh, I did it. I did it. Months. I did it responsibly. <laughs> uh, it was, and I got did, out and then complained it. about the ticket you got, right? right? No, I got out. I got out on an open stretch one time, and decided to see what she'd do. And she did.
2: <laughs> well, give us a figure, man. Come on. Oh, you're was... not going to get a. Uh, uh, you know, the statute of limitations is over. I'm sure you're not going to get a ticket in the mail.
0: Uh, I may have doubled the legal amount.
2: Wow. Wait, what part of the, is this where it's 80 miles an hour? Like, are you going 160 miles an hour on the freeway? <laughs> it was in a stretch of a
0: highway in America where nobody is or nobody was that day.
2: That'll Man. hold up in court. 160 miles an hour. No, it wow. was I that didn't fast. I didn't know that uh is she Was she Street Legal Gordon?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. It ran on plutonium. Did, it, yeah, did you travel through time? I'll tell you though, when you get up to a certain level of speed, every every 5 miles an hour faster is um is like a whole new adventure. So I would recommend that anybody who wants to drive fast like that, go to a track somewhere.
2: Uh, Gordon, we're, we're hoping to talk to David Locke uh, coming up here momentarily. But before we do, I've, I've got an answer to a question you and I posed, and you actually posed it in column form last week and something that we really overlooked. Um, we talked about the 11-game conference schedule. And why would that make any sense if you can play 11, play 12, and might as well play your non-conference games? Mm -hmm. Well, in that article that we talked about earlier today about the finances of college football and what's at stake, let me read this paragraph to you because this is something we absolutely should have thought of. Uh, it says, a season involving only conference foes was, would also also would save bigger schools money in terms of payouts to smaller schools they typically owe for having them travel to campus, but the loss of those kinds of payments for smaller schools such as Georgia Southern would be significant. So we overlooked that in a cost-cutting measure because that, that is going to be an issue regardless, especially no fans in the stands, all those sorts of things. That that's why they would want to play eleven conference games, so they would not be paying those additional teams to play. Yeah, but that I, I was surprised okay, so, you didn't think of that.
0: So how does that work inside of a conference? How what what's the split? Is
2: there is there any split? Well, I would guess that they would drive more revenue. But the point is, is you're not paying uh, Montana State half a uh, million dollars to come down and play Rice Eccles. Yeah, but you're, you're saving still... five hundred grand.
0: Are you really saving all of that, or is it just a different uh, percentage of distribution?
2: I think you're saving it. Well, anyway, we'll, let's let's get back to it a little all later right. on. But that. That stood out to me, given the conversations uh, that we've had over the past couple of weeks. All right, uh, let's get out to the Sprint, special guest line Sprint. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online store availability. Of course, he is the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and his interview is brought to you by our friends at Murdoch Hyundai. During the month of May, get 0% APR for 84 months, plus no payments until January 2021 on the new 2020 Hyundai Elantra or Tucson, Murdoch Hyundai and Lyndon and Murray. He is David Locke with us here on the Big Show. Hi,
1: David. How are you? I want an update on what you were just talking about college football. I, I, I am. I am so fascinated. I think it's you know somewhat survival, but I'm so fascinated by all the return to play and how we're going to do this. And like I just I'm mesmerized by it. The one that's one of the most interesting things to me, and I, I can't say who, but I was talking to an athletic director that I've known since, you know, when he was, he and I worked around the same time in about 90, we're really old, so about 93 and four and five and six, we all worked around the same place together. And I was talking to him recently and he was saying that he's at a like a non-major division one school, maybe even a one double A, I don't actually know how they ranked, or whatever FBS or whatever it's called. And, you know, their athletic department just can't exist without the ticket revenue of his school. So there's these schools like Alabama and Tennessee and, you know, SEC and Utah that are frankly dependent on the TV revenue to a large amount and making sure that we get games in. But then there's these other schools like the University of Delaware and these schools that we don't really think of. They're completely dependent on the on the. Uh, game receipts to keep their entire athletic department going. It's, it's a huge, like, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, it's it's really
2: complicated and, and changes school for school. What Gordon and I were talking about is, is universities are already in cost-saving mode because for obvious reasons. And Clay, uh, Clay Helton, a couple of weeks ago, had said that they had explored playing an 11-game conference schedule and getting rid of the non-conference that gordon and i both said well if you're going to play 11 might as well play 12 that doesn't make any sense and just do it as usual but uh we were talking about how the the payouts to these smaller schools to come and play that might be where they save money don't pay montana state half a million dollars to come play and just play a conference game instead
1: do they lose money on a half a billion dollars
2: well they would if there are no fans in the stands and no one wants to put it on TV. Right.
1: Certainly right. No question. No question. Like if you're if you're not if you're not playing you don't have the fans coming, you're then you're right. Um, but you know what? Like that's to the point. Like Montana State's a great example of what I'm talking about. It in this kind of type of school I was just discussing. Montana State's entire athletic department runs off that half a million dollar payout. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're left to battle it out for themselves. The economic ramifications on so many levels. And, and I have to tell you, I find myself a little bit more sympathetic to, like, the University of Montana and Montana State that, like, have actually just been running this thing the old-fashioned way instead of being so dependent to the TV dollar. And now they're the ones that are going to get just hammered by this because they can't get the ticket receipts. I, I, that Somehow that, to me, feels... I know it's not as significant to the fan, and it doesn't, you know, maybe to Weaver State, right, we're really talking about there. Somehow to me that feels more, I don't know, unjust or gives twinges at my heart a little bit more than, you know, for Alabama and Auburn and Tennessee, you know. Like, I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy there.
0: David, what are you thinking of the latest uh, ideas about the NBA play resuming in Orlando?
1: Uh, so is there new news? I've been driving all day today. Um, so I, if there's new news today, I don't know it. Um, I know that Orlando and Vegas are both being talked about. Um, I think the MLS is heading to Orlando from what I've heard. I've heard the NHL is heading to Columbus and Vegas um, from what I've been heard on that. So, you know, everyone's fun. What, the women's professional soccer league is coming to Salt Lake City, right? Um, so I think everybody's finding their location. Um, it certainly feels like I heard the NHL expects June one to have group workouts. It feels to me as though I don't know this from anyone, but it feels to me that the NHL and the NBA are mirroring each other. So if the NHL is doing group workouts, and what they mean, what they described from what I heard on the NHL end of things was that it's you know three to five players together at one time, and then those three to five players will work out together for two weeks or so so that your team is divided into these groups to prevent massive contacts amongst the group and then eventually you go to full workouts um you know if that's the case then i would suspect the nba follows I've, I've just heard that on the nhl of things
2: is david Locke with us here on 97.5 and 1280 the zone david your uh, reaction to the news that uh, boyan bogdanovich not going to be back uh, regardless of how this uh, season concludes
1: you know, it's, it was, it's interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about the ramifications, of like this pushback to injury rehab. There's so many players that are, you know, playing out the season knowing they have an injury that has to get dealt with in the offseason. Boyan was certainly, you know, on that level. We had, Boyan and I had talked about this multiple times throughout the year, the wrist injury that he was dealing with and how he was handling it. Um, how much it was bothering him and affecting him. And you'd watch him some nights, he would be moving it around a lot. Sometimes when it happened very early in the season, he re-aggravated it multiple times throughout the year. But he, he, it happened, uh, I think it actually may have happened in the first 10 games of the year, the first time, shortly after his ankle injury. And, you know, what ends up happening is, one is with the time off, it still hurts, specifically in this case. And so he suddenly realized that it had something had to be done. But the other thing that happens is, you know, since you don't really know, there's a certain point of rehab, right? You kind of know, well, if our season ends in May and we're not starting again until October, well, I can go get it done. Right now, you just don't know the answers to those questions. So at some point, you have to go get things taken care of so that you're ready for the known thing, which is the 2021 season. And it's certainly, from a basketball standpoint, the optimistic approach I had toward, you know, try, we're all asking who has the advantage, who has the disadvantage. Um, I was on a call with Matthew Delvadova, and he pointed out he thinks shooting's going to be really, really bad early in the league in the year when we come back to action, and that those teams that have good shooting will have a huge advantage, and I thought, you know, we're the best shooting team in the league, so I was like, wow, there's a, you know, that's a big advantage, well, we're not, you know, Boyan's a huge part of us being the best shooting team in the league.
0: David, I'm interested in your opinion on a sort of a moral question when it comes down to restarting sports and the public health. Uh, These are the kinds of things that that I've always thought that you think deeply about. What do you make of the situation now? And Jake and I have been going back and forth on it time and time again. The economic uh, and financial ramifications of a lack of sports – uh, measured against the, the the public health and the risk to the players, to coaches, to those who are necessary to put a game on, where are you in that? I mean, where or do, or do, where, do you, where do you draw the line between that, and how do you balance those two things, those two concerns? I mean, it's, I, I probably. I
1: mean, it's, so it's an incredible conversation. Um, I don't ever wish to be a sports talk show host again, but this would be one of those topics that if, you know, if done correctly, as you guys have and you guys have done, i got to tip my hat again to 1280, uh, 97.5. You guys have been amazing during this without sports and the high-quality content you continually put out and entertaining and thoughtful content um, has been amazing. So, um, you know, I, I'm not envious to have to do your job right now, but I do find this to be one of the more interesting discussions. I've said this a few times to people, and I said it early before we got into this whole... Before the political world divided this conversation into a nasty, unproductive conversation, um, I I would love to be alive in 2040 uh, and maybe 2050 as a college student with a brilliant ethics professor and study 2020. I mean, I think it's incredible. I really think that if you could have an intelligent intelligent conversation without, you know, talking about imaginary drugs, because one of your supporters, you know, is the one who profits off of it and talk about something without having masks become a political statement, like actually have a intelligent conversation about this. It is one of the most fascinating discussions that I've Societally that I've ever seen and when 2020 is studied with more knowledge than we have right now in an ethics class, it'd be amazing. But I could write an essay for that class with probably eight to 12 different, you know, thesis statements of what I think is right and or at least be able to prove uh, what I think is right. And so it's an incredible conversation. Um, I do think you could write a really interesting paper in regards to athletes playing in the COVID era and NFL athletes playing in the concussion era. So neither, I think, has enough information to know what they're doing. And both of them have the individual right to make money while putting themselves at risk. And then what is the league's right and responsibility to protecting those athletes in that realm? Um, is a pretty interesting triangle of conversation. David Locke is with us here on
2: 97.5 and twelve eighty the zone. David, does it surprise you that uh, everybody outside of Michael Jordan seems to be grumpy about how they were portrayed in that docu series? <laughs>
1: you, you mean Michael Jordan, who has evidently has like two, fr- three friends in his whole life, his driver, his phone, and his security guard, and no one else likes him? Like that's no, I'm not particularly surprised.
2: <laughs> I didn't think you would be. What did you think about the conclusion?
1: I don't know. So, um, you know, so I have to be for the next door, um, which is, for those who get that, if he went to the same college my kid's going to go to, so, like, I'm immediately, you know, homer. Um I thought the. That- He's missing to that documentary, and maybe that's because Jordan had too much control over it. But, like, there isn't really, again, another great discussion here about, like, the cost of winning and how important the title is and what you do to get it. And, you know, like, for it's great that Jordan's this much of a jerk, and he can win, and we think it's all right. But so is Chris Paul, evidently, from all reports, and he hasn't won and instead, he's actually destroyed a bunch of franchises along the way. So, like, which is it? Like, it's it's okay if your talent kind of allows it, or is it actually just not all right? But Jordan was so great, he got away with it, which is a little bit of where I stem on this. What was never answered is why. Why is he like that? That to me, that's the piece of I was left very very empty of any explanation and really opened admission to this personality that was Jordan. Like, at some point when every episode's about he made my list, well, why do you have a list, and what is it about you, and where does this come from, and what's that, what created that? And then, really, because maybe it was so controlled by Jordan, like, any discussion of, like, is it worth it? Like, was it worth it? And I think Jordan would say it's worth it, but look at Jordan, like, Jordan today doesn't seem like I don't know. Like, I'd probably rather be a fairly decent person with maybe less rings and have some existence at 50-some-odd years old that makes me feel, that didn't look like a guy that has a lot going on today that engages him and makes him happy and has him working with people. So, I don't know. It's a really interesting conversation. But I thought that was that – I was left a little empty, frankly, as – um, and maybe as a Jazz fan, it was, frankly, I was actually surprised how painful it was to watch it again. It had not been painful to me. You knew the outcome. I lived through it. I was the pre-half time and post-game show host of the network when this was all going on. And, you know, we had Jim Rome there and we had all the heydays and the great moments. And, uh, and I, you know, and the shot, to be there for the shot was incredible. And you realized at the time you were watching, you know, maybe the only time in the history of sport that the greatest play, in your sports history is also made by your greatest player. Like, that's not actually happened in any other sport. And you realize the magnitude of the moment, but it was super painful. And I was surprised how much, as a Jazz fan, that pain came back. You know, there's just, as Gordon can attest to, there just were so many plays in both those series in so many different games than the ones that are talked about where that series, both those series could have swung. And it, it's just a testament to how difficult it is to win a championship and also how, frankly, close the Bulls were to not winning some of those championships, and it leaves you just, oh, oh, oh. Tony Kukoc backed to, off. Oh, oh. <laughs> Tony Kukoc was the softest player in the NBA. How did he give an offensive rebound tip out off a missed free throw? <laughs>
0: You know David the the only answer I that I got out of the uh, series of episodes was was uh, when it was mentioned that Jordan his father at one point when he was young made a comment about how his brother would do something better than than Michael had done and th- th- so there was a sort of a hint there that he was really driven to prove uh, to his dad that uh, he was worthy of his love, uh, I guess.
1: But, but why doesn't Jordan have any human compassion? Yeah. yeah. Like, the only emotional moments you see about Jordan are about his own personal pain, right? Like, like even when Will Perdue and Judd Bushler talked about how strange it was to see him crying after he won the first title after whatever... Crying if he won the first title and, and then his reaction also to his dad's death. But those are actually his own, those aren't compassion toward anybody else. That's all just about himself. Like he has no outside understanding or feel for another human.
0: You know, David. Or at least remember. it's representative. I remember having a conversation with with John Wooden himself in a hotel in downtown Salt Lake City. It was just me and him in this hotel room, and we were sitting there, and I was talking to him about competition and the rewards of competition. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said that one of the benefits of competing in a manner that is noble is it eventually will lead – to great self-satisfaction and peace of mind. In the case of Jordan, I don't sense much peace of mind. Do you?
1: Not if bloodshed eyes are an indicator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't
2: that the truth? Hmm. Uh, did we lose David? I think we did. I think we might have lost David. Yeah, I thought that during the whole series. Get that guy some Visine stat. <laughs> I mean, just you know just a couple of drops to clear that right up. Uh maybe thanks to David c- Locke maybe, for joining us. Maybe it's a cigar smoke. I don't know. I don't either. But his eyes were bloodshot during that whole thing. Uh thanks to David, we were nearing the end anyway. Sorry to lose him, but uh Locke always solid and we appreciate him jumping on with us. We'll uh, get some thoughts on that. We have the drop of the day coming up next as well. We are live at Wasatch franquia Kia 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 770 West Riverdale Road in Ogden. We're here as part of the Catrubus Automotive Team Memorial Stimulus Tent Sale Event. Going on now through Memorial Day here at Wasatch franquia Kia 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 as well as in Layton at 1234 North Main in Layton. Over 600 cars, 0% interest for 72 months. No payments for the first six months. It is the best time to buy a car and this is the place to do it. They're doing all the safety precautions to take care of their listeners. Uh, They're having, uh, you can have your own tent so you can safely social distance. Your own car concierge, they're cleaning all the cars, they're cleaning in between customers. They're doing everything to make sure that you feel safe during your car buying experience. Check it out. Again, two locations, 770 West Riverdale Road here in Ogden and 1234 North Main in Layton. We'll have more Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.